Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. One self-destructive leap. Shepherds eating breakfast outside of Jeeva's turkey were surprised to see a lone sheep jump off a nearby cliff and fall to its death. They were stunned, however, when the rest of the nearly 1,500 sheep in the herd followed, each jumping off of the same cliff. When it was all over, the local newspaper reported that 450 of the sheep had perished in a billowy, puffy, white pile. Fortunately, those that jumped from the middle and the end of the herd were saved as the pile became more high and more cushioned. The estimated loss to the owners were over $100,000, which is an extremely significant amount of money in a country where the average person earns about $2,700 annually. One shepherd, a member of the 26 families whose sheep were grazing together in the herd, lamented, there's nothing we can do. They are all wasted. As we're going to learn today, sheep are not the brightest animals in the food chain. They desperately need a good shepherd if they are going to make it, and so do we. We now have arrived at one of the most beautiful and comforting chapters in the Gospel of John as we are introduced to Jesus as being the Good Shepherd. In view of the wide use of shepherd's theme in throughout the Bible, one would think that the shepherd parable in John 10 would be easy to interpret. But this is not the case if we were to judge it by the various interpretations that have been given to it. In one interpretation, the sheepfold is the world. In another, it is the church. In a third, it is heaven. In one interpretation, the sheep are Christians. In another, only the Jews. Now, all would agree that Jesus is the shepherd, but who is the doorkeeper? And the next question is, who then are the thieves? And how can Jesus be both the shepherd and the door of the sheepfold at the same time? As we learn about the Lord's teaching about his ministry as a good shepherd, we will note that he has a threefold relationship with his sheep. And the three elements are a loving, a living, and a lasting relationship with his sheep. He has a loving relationship because he died for his sheep. He has a living relationship because he cares for his sheep. And lastly, he also has a lasting relationship for he, he keeps his sheep and not one of them will be lost. Look at verse 1 with me. Most assuredly, I say to you, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The greatest problem in this section is to neglect to take the story in its context. And that is to be found in the preceding chapter in the story of the man that was born blind and his mistreatment by those who were the leaders of the people. This is obvious because of the absence of any transitional words at the beginning of chapter 10. When John indicates a transition, either geographically or in time, he usually says something like, after these things, after this, on the next day, or as Jesus passed by. But here the words of Jesus flow immediately after his comments about the Pharisees at the end of chapter 9, and therefore they are related to them. 
Chapter 9 ended with a once blind man's excommunication from the Jewish religious system. And here in chapter 10, Jesus addresses this issue by speaking of a new order, a new fold, and a new flock, which the once blind man is now a part. As soon as we recognize this, we recognize that the thieves and the robbers must refer to the Pharisees who are the false shepherds of Israel and that that sheepfold represents Judaism. The ones who hear Christ's voice and respond to his call are those of his own within Israel of whom the blind man is the first example. Now, with that as our background, let's read the verses again. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What we need to know is that during certain times of the year, shepherds would lead their flocks away from the village to greener pastures. During such times, the sheep slept in temporary sheepfolds made of brush. When the sheep remained in the village, however, all the shepherds of the community brought their sheep nightly into a common sheepfold that would have stone walls six or seven feet high. However, theft from these communal sheepfolds was often a very common occurrence. What would happen is that there would be a thieving or robbery team consisting of a two-man operation. What they would do is one thief would stand on the shoulder of his partners and then climb into the sheepfold. Then with great stealth, he would slit the throats of four or five sheep and then toss them over the wall to his buddy. We'll return to the thieves in a minute. But what does verse 2 mean where we read that he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep? Wait a minute. In verse 9, Jesus will say, I am the door. And then in verse 11, he will say, I am the good shepherd. How can Jesus be both the door and the and the shepherd. This is important to keep in context once again in order to understand it. Remember, Jesus has just said that the Pharisees have climbed through to get to the sheepfold through the false way of legalism. But Jesus didn't do that. He came to the nation of Israel through the front door of all that was spoken about him in the Old Testament. Now, what is a door? It is an accepted means of entrance, and Jesus has the right to reveal himself this way to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 3 with me. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." Jesus uses the illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. I guess the first question in verse 3 then is, who is the doorkeeper? I wouldn't be dogmatic about this, but I believe the doorkeeper is none other than John the Baptist. He was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And it was he who first announced... Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe it was for that Lamb and the doorkeeper opened the gate to the first Israel and then to the entire world. What we also need to know is while the sheep stayed in the communal sheepfold, all the shepherds would return home each night except for one who would act as a doorkeeper or a watchman. 
Now, in the morning, the shepherds would return to their flocks. And as I've said, shepherds frequently worked together and even shared the same enclosure at night. But how did they know whose sheep was whose if they were all mixed together in the sheepfold? Believe it or not, each shepherd had a distinctive call or song to which only his sheep would respond. And so the following morning, the the flocks would be easily separated simply by calling them in opposite directions. Author H.V. Morton watched this firsthand during his travels to Israel back in 1934. He writes, Early one morning I saw an extraordinary sight not far from Bethlehem. Two shepherds had evidently spent the night with their flocks in a cave. The sheep were all mixed together, and the time had come for the shepherds to go in different directions. One of the shepherds stood some distance from the sheep and began to call. First one, then another, then four or five animals ran towards him, and so on, until he had counted his entire flock. Like Jonathan said, I love where it says that he calls the sheep by name. In Revelation 2.17, we are told that our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, will give us a new name that fits us perfectly and that we will possess throughout eternity. I look forward to my new name so I can finally be free of being called Mean Little Billy. But the next thing I want us to notice is that he also leads us out. Now, why would I make a point of that? Shepherds never drove the sheep, never beat the sheep, and never pushed the sheep. They led the sheep. If you go to Israel today, you'll see shepherds just walking along with a stream of sheep following right behind them. Now, Americans tend to drive themselves and others. Not so with the Middle Eastern shepherd. So too, Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't drive us he leads us in other words he first goes through the valley of the shadow of death before he ever asks any of us to do that scripture declares that jesus our shepherd our leader was tempted in all ways like us and yet he was without sin and we as sheep definitely need to be led now this is easy to prove Take, for instance, in the animal kingdom, there has never been a herd of wild sheep. In fact, do you know what you call a sheep who gets separated from the rest of the flock? Breakfast. They are the animal version of meals on wheels. And you know why? Because they have three major strikes against them. One, they are stupid animals. Two, they really have no way to protect themselves. And three, unless it's in a snowstorm, they virtually have no camouflage in order to hide. Plus, even if it was snowing, they're so stupid they would freeze to death. But here's what we have to realize and accept. Throughout the Bible, God's people are compared to sheep. And the comparison is a good one. Let me warn you. This is not going to improve your self-esteem this morning. Let me give you a few examples. The one positive is that in the biblical sense, at least, sheep are clean animals and not unclean like pigs. But then the comparisons 
are much less flattering to begin with. They are completely defenseless and need the constant care of their shepherd. What am I telling us? To put it as bluntly and nicely as I can, sheep are stupid creatures. In fact, they may be some of the dumbest animals on the earth. Now, one aspect of their stupidity is seen in the fact that they so easily will wander away. They can have a great shepherd who has brought them to the best grazing lands near an abundant supply of water, and yet they will wander away over a hill to where the fields are barren and the water undrinkable. Not only are sheep different, they're also helpless. And Jesus knows that they are helpless, and that is why he has became our good shepherd. Did you know, for instance, that a sheep can get stuck on their back like a turtle so that they are unable to move? And in warm weather, it can die in that position within a few hours. A sheep in that position is called a cast sheep, and it must be rescued or it will die. Or again, did you know that sheep are undiscriminating in their choice of food? So they will eat anything, even poisonous weeds and roots. Or again, that a sheep is helpless in the face of predatory animals. They get so terrified, in fact, that it will often just stand there without uttering a bleat until it is attacked and killed. There are no tough sheep. In the sheep world, there has never been a Rambo, or maybe a Lambo would be more appropriate. I can't speak for you, but I see myself in some of those characteristics, and as I do, I'm even more grateful for my good shepherd. We should all be thankful that Jesus knows his sheep. As I've already pointed out, he also knows that they can wander sometimes. A sheep can have perfect pasture and all that it needs or can ever need. Yet if there is so much as a tiny opening in the otherwise secure fence, somehow the sheep will find that opening, wriggle through, and wander all the way to less ample fields and often into danger. I can be like that. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that sometimes you can too. How does the hymn go? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. The God I love. And it is true. Small wonder that the prophet Isaiah bemoaned. All we like sheep have gone astray. And each of us have went to their own way. Yet in Jesus, we have a shepherd who is constantly on the alert to keep us from wandering and to seek us out when we often do go astray. Now, how does he do this? It says his sheep will know his voice. Philip Keller, who was himself a sheep rancher, writes this. The relationship which rapidly develops between a shepherd and the sheep under his care is to a definite degree dependent upon the use of the shepherd's voice. Sheep quickly become accustomed to their owner's particular voice. They are acquainted with unique tone. They notice peculiar sounds and inflections. They can distinguish it from that of any other person. If a stranger should come among them, they would not recognize or respond to his voice in the same way they would respond to the shepherd. Even if the visitor should use the same words and phrases as that of the rightful owner, they would not react in the same way. 
he finishes by saying, It is a case of becoming actually conditioned to the familiar nuances and personal accent of their shepherd's call. I find that very insightful. So how do we know our shepherd's voice today? Since he normally doesn't speak to us audibly, the only other way to safely know it is having his voice through the scripture that has been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. How does that work? If we have a working knowledge of the scripture, whenever a situation or a circumstance arises with which we need to deal with, we should either be able to think of an appropriate verse that applies or sometimes a still small voice of God will guide us. The only caveat to that is if God is speaking, it will always line up with his word 100%. So it doesn't matter if someone says, the Lord told me it was okay to divorce my spouse and marry my hot secretary because he wants me to be happy. They may even add, and I have a real peace about it. Now, is that the voice of the good shepherd? Well, no, it wasn't. How do we know? Because the scripture gives us the concessions concerning divorce. That was just one example, but I'm sure you can see how this would apply to all circumstances. And while it is wonderful that we know his voice, it's even more wonderful that he knows us. The good, the bad, (laughs) and very often the ugly. He also knows our natures. While all sheep are alike in their essential nature, each sheep has its own distinctive characteristics, and the loving shepherd is able to recognize these traits. One sheep may be afraid of high places. Another one may be afraid of dark shadows. But a faithful shepherd will consider these special needs as he tends the flock. Have you ever noticed how different the 12 apostles were from one another? Peter was impulsive and outspoken, while Thomas was hesitant and doubting. Andrew was a people person, always bringing somebody to Jesus, while Judas just wanted to use people in order to get them for their money. Jesus knew each of these men personally, and he knew exactly how to deal with them. And he also knows how different each of us are, and so deal with us in the way that is best for us. Verse 7 And Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If you write in your Bibles, you may want to circle or underline the word again. And the reason is, I find it comforting that Jesus, even when dealing with the hard-hearted Pharisees, didn't say, You dummies, how can you possibly miss this obvious picture? I'm going to write you off, you bunch of knuckleheads. No, he came to them again and again. And haven't you found that the Lord keeps coming to you time and time and time again, saying the same thing until it finally sinks in? Have you ever resisted something the Lord has told you, only to hear it on a teaching online or the same subject on the same subject? or a scripture from a friend along the same line. The Lord is faithful to keep coming time and time again and dealing with you and me concerning those issues that need to be addressed 
in each of our lives. Truly, he is the good shepherd. Now, wait a minute, you say. Is Jesus mixing metaphors here? You just said he was the shepherd, but here he's talking now about being the door. Is he drawing another analogy? Just to reiterate what I said earlier, in Christ's day we saw that there were two kinds of sheep pen. The first is the kind that are in the opening verses of the chapter, and that kind of sheep pen was kept in the cities and villages. And it was fairly large, large enough to hold several flocks of sheep at any rate, and it was public. Now, a sheep pen like this was in the care of a doorkeeper whose duty it was to guard the gate during the night and then to admit the shepherds in the morning. The shepherds would call their sheep and then lead them out to pasture. We saw from the context of this parable that by it, Jesus was referring to his role in calling his sheep out of Judaism. Now, the second kind of pen was not public, nor was it in the villages. This pen was in the countryside where the shepherds would keep their flocks in the good weather. Now, presumably, this is where the shepherds were keeping their sheep at night at the time of Christ's birth when the angels appeared to them and invited them to Bethlehem. Now, this type of sheep pen was nothing more than a rough circle of rocks piled into a wall with a small space or opening or gate through which the shepherd would drive all the sheep at nightfall. And since there was now no gate to close and just an opening, the shepherd would keep the sheep in and wild animals out by lying across that opening. He would sleep there, in this case literally becoming the gate of the sheep. That way no sheep could leave and no manner or predator could enter without stepping on the shepherd and waking him up. Thus in referring to himself as the door, Jesus was saying, I am that shepherd on duty. I am the one whose job it is to guard the flock. So Jesus' audience would have understood this perfectly. But what does that image teach us about Christianity then? What does the gate teach us about Jesus Christ? First, it obviously teaches that there is only one gate, meaning that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, I know that in today's culture, that is considered incredibly intolerant, and I'm fine with that because the truth by its very nature is also just as intolerant. An example I've used from the past is two plus two is always four. It is never three, and it is never five, no matter how much I want it to be or even how much I believe it to be with all my heart. I can tell you also, I'm absolutely sure that God told me that two plus two was seven, but that doesn't change the fact that it is still four. In the same way, people today can tell you that God has changed his standards about things like marriage can only be between a man and a woman, or you can sleep around all that you want and God not only understands, he accepts you. Or maybe closer to home, it's okay to be materialistic and greedy because we are king's kids. But that is not the truth as given in the scripture. And it doesn't matter how much anyone wants to believe that it is. Go back to my point. Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. This is the truth regardless of how anybody feels about it. He makes that clear in this verse. 
The point is even evident from the nature of the sheep pen that Christ had in view. Because if it had more than one gate, it would have been useless. Christ was saying in the 14th chapter, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. This is crucial for Christianity. It is not so for other religions. What I mean is it would make little difference to most religions if their founder or someone else had, had never founded it at all. For essentially all they are are collections of spiritual claims, all of which could exist without their founder. Now, they needed somebody to discover them, of course, but the point is anyone could have discovered them and that once they were discovered, they existed in their own right, much like scientific propositions. Besides, if they became lost, they could become rediscovered. That is the nature of the world's religions. But Christianity is not in this category, nor is Jesus like those other religious figures. Jesus did not really claim to know the truth. He said that he is the truth. He did not really say he was going to show the way to God. He said he is the way to God. Jesus claimed to be God and has come to earth to die for our sin. And the reason that that is good news is that we deserve to die for our own sin, both physically and spiritually. We deserve to be separated from God, but Jesus died in our place. He who was sinless accepted the guilt of our sin and died for us. No one else could do it, but he could and he did. Thus, he literally became the gate by which all sinful people can approach God the Father. The author of the book of Hebrews calls him a new and living way. Paul wrote, through him we have access to the Father. He is not one of many doors. He is the one and only door. As we finish up, in 1958, a U.S. soldier wandered the streets of Berlin to see the sights. Despite the bustling new life in many parts of the city, reminders remained of the destruction of World War II. Walking through a residential area one evening, he came across a cobblestone street and saw an open space edged with flowers. In the center stood the stone front of what once had been a church. The building was no longer there, but the rubble had been cleared away in an attempt to fill the empty space with a little park. The former church's main door was shaped in a Gothic arc, and over it was carved into the stone in German, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. As he stepped through the arch where the doors had once been, of course he wasn't inside anything. What once had been a place of worship had been reduced to a patch of stone pavement and open sky. Not so with the door Jesus Christ. As we step into Christ, we enter into his unshakable and eternal presence. It cannot be reduced or destroyed. And if you haven't stepped through that door, I plead with you to do it today for there is no other way. Lord, I hear the world sometimes complain that Christians say that Jesus is the only way. What's more amazing is that there is any way. So we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. And I pray, Lord, that everyone within the sign of my voice and the teaching that goes online, if they don't know you as their good shepherd, that you would call, from them, call them out from among the wolves, O oh Lord, and reveal yourself to them and save them. We ask in Christ's name.
Amen.